At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. Support for WABE comes from Capital Good Fund, introducing Georgia Bright Solar Lease Program, a new rooftop solar initiative designed to create pathways to equitable and inclusive solar, sustainability, and monthly savings for Georgians. Learn more at georgiabright.org. W-A-B-E in Atlanta, this is City Lights. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thank you for listening. Marry Me a Little is a review with songs by Stephen Sondheim that have become cabaret favorites. Later this hour, we'll hear about the Merely Players Presents show on stage at the Doraville Civic Center. Plus, our series, Speaking of Music, today features Maggie Schneider of the Atlanta pop-rock band Glimmers. First, the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater is based in New York, but we like to think of Atlanta as their second home. The world-renowned dancers have been coming to Atlanta every year since 1976, And they'll return to the Fox Theater to perform February 16th through 19th. Robert Battle is the artistic director of Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater. He joins me now via Zoom. Robert, welcome back to City Lights. Thank you. Thank you so much. Please tell us about this season's repertoire. One of the works that I'm excited about is a world premiere by Kyle Abraham, who's a brilliant choreographer who received the MacArthur Genius Award, to name a few. (laughs) That would be enough. But he's done this wonderful work for us called Are You In Your Feelings? which I love that the work asks the question, right, in the vernacular. And I think we've all been in our feelings in one way or another these past few years. But this work is great because it celebrates a kind of cross-generational scope. He likes to think of this work as a kind of mixtape for you young folks, <laughs> cassette tape, or just a mixtape of different genres of music, meaning the music ranges from Kendrick Lamar to Drake to the Flamingos, that wonderful song, I Only Have Eyes For You, uh, another wonderful song, 
woman to woman, where one woman confronts another about messing with her man. Woman to woman, if you've ever been in love, then you know how I feel. And woman to woman, now if you were in my shoes, Erica Badu, which is a song called I'll Call You Back. What's great about our audiences is that it is cross-generational. And so it's, there's something in it for everybody to delight in, especially the sound score, but also the dance itself, which is somewhat of a love story. In fact, when he was creating the dance, Kyle Abraham can't re remember the amount of times, or count the amount of times that people said, I can't wait till we bring this to Atlanta. <laughs> because oh. what we like about Atlanta is people respond vocally to what they're seeing and what they're hearing. And so we're looking forward to that. But also, and then a serious work called Survivors that Alvin Ailey created in 1986 as a response to Nelson Mandela being thrown in jail for being a freedom fighter. his own sense of rage about the injustice and how it mirrors the injustices in our own country and he made this work survivors and you know you have to think about when he made it at that time no one knew that Nelson Mandela would ever be released uh, because he had a life sentence so it's a work that hasn't been seen in about 30 or so years but I thought it was appropriate to bring it back now as we experience the injustices that we see every day, to remind people that this company is not just there to entertain, but also to educate and shine a light on some of those stories that are important to remember and continue to be told. And he did it brilliantly through dance. And what's really exciting to me also is the score, which is a score by Max Roach, who was the famous, incredible drummer, and Abby Lincoln, who is the brilliant jazz vocalist. And it's really raw, and it really gets to the core of your soul when you see this particular work. I can't wait to see it. Why did you want to restage it? Masazumi Chaya restaged it. I wanted to restage it to remind people that Alvin Ailey has always been relevant. Him as a choreographer, us as a dance company, that we use our voices and our art for as weapons for change, but also to bring people together. And I think during the Black Lives Matter movement, when it was at its height, 
I wanted to remind people that Alvin Ailey was a living embodiment of that notion a long time ago when he founded this company in 1958 on the cusp of the civil rights movement, that he had something to say, even at a time when it probably wasn't popular to say it. And he risked funding, he risked a lot of things to make these social and political statements. In fact, when they were performing the work, and I remember it was a theater in Florida that got violent threats that if we perform the work, I say we, I mean the company, that something might happen. And the decision had to be made of whether they were going to carry on or not and, and perform the work in this particular theater. And they did perform the work because they thought that it was important to stand against that kind of threat. And so just to show you the power of of art, the power of dance to inform and to provoke and evoke. I think it was important to really center Alvin in that space of courage and conviction. Absolutely. I guess what I, I was curious about more to the point of the restaging. So this is Ailey's original piece unchanged. Why is it called restaged by Masazumi Chaya? Oh, yes. Well, because Chaya, I mean, he, he was there. He, he, in some ways, was one of the only people that could restage it because there wasn't a whole lot of footage. You know, back then, it wasn't so easy to record things, you know, that that took a whole lot of effort and money in instances to record something. And we take that for granted now because it's it's much easier to record. And so he had to sort of pull together archival footage from rehearsals and one performance that was recorded live. And because there are no counts really in the dance, because the music, yes, it's drumming, but it's it's more explosive than it is rhythmic. And the singing is, there's no words. It's really just guttural screams and moans like a wounded animal in a way. And so to try to put all of that together took quite a while to really excavate the work and then bring it to life. It's really something to see. Ah, okay. Indeed, we, we forget living yeah. as we do now when we just take out our phones and you know, right. hit record, that Masazumi Chaya really was the keeper here, yes. or the griot, the dance griot, yes. if you will. Yes. If you are just joining us, this is City Lights. I'm Lois Reitzes, speaking with artistic director Robert Battle of the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater. The troupe is performing at the Fox Theater February 16th through 19th. Music of Wynton Marsalis accompanies your work playfully titled 4-4. I know how much you love wordplay. <laughs> how would you describe this dance piece? Yes, so it was interesting during the, the pandemic, certainly at the height of it, you know, I started 
trying to do your job. <laughs> I was interviewing different artists. So I interviewed Wynton Marsalis because we were going to be doing a virtual showing of Night Creature, which is famous work, a classic work by Alvin Ailey. The music is Duke Ellington. And I wanted to do a conversation that would sort of precede the work being shown virtually and just talk about Duke Ellington's music and talk about, you know, Alvin Ailey's choreography. Then we were going to do a virtual gala and we needed another dance to open the gala. So I said I would make something. So it started, and the reason the title has a backstory is because it started with me saying to our associate artistic director, Matthew Rushing, might have mentioned who's celebrating 30 years with the organization this year. But I talked to Matthew, I said, I'll, I, I'd like to do a solo because that'll be easy because we were just starting to inch our way back into the studio with all kinds of protocols of, of having to be in cohorts, having to be in these taped off boxes in the studio. It was very intense. So I thought a solo would be the easiest way to create something at that time. But then Matthew said at some point, could you add another dancer? He was just trying to divvy the responsibilities. And then he said, oh, could you add two more dancers? So it became four, four. And that's where I drew the line. <laughs> and the music is in four, four time. And I thought of Winton because we had just had that conversation. And in some ways it's light and dark. In this particular dance, it's mostly fun. And then in a moment, I had this image in my mind of the flag being imposed on this particular solo that happens in the dance that is a little more disruptive. And the reason I did that, because as you know, we were dealing with the pandemic, but we were dealing with racial reckoning. And this idea of what the flag meant to people and how it was sometimes used as a cudgel, as a kind of way of saying, you don't belong, a kind of false narrative of patriotism. And I saw many images of that. And so it was sort of in my consciousness as a kid who grew up, I was a Boy Scout back in the day, you know, when we were in school, we did our pledge allegiance to the flag. It always felt to me that I had as much ownership as anyone else. And then I was thinking of uh, Langston Hughes' famous poem, I Too Sing America, and that kind of reclaiming. So, and then I was thinking about jazz and its roots in the African-American tradition and also being an American-born art form. And so in a way, I was sort of taking it back and having that reminder. It's only for a moment in the dance because I didn't want the whole dance to be about that, but I felt that it need to be, needed to be inserted in the work. And so it's both a light and fun dance, but if you look just beneath the surface, there's something else afoot in that particular dance. And I think it came out of my own sense of agitation about everything that we were going through in that moment. And I think I have another work on the program 
So unfold, okay, so that's a whole different thing. When I was a kid, I remember the first time I got my hands on a videotape of Lantine Price singing a concert. I had never heard, now I grew up in the church, certainly, and my mother listened to jazz. So I was used to, you know, the music of Sarah Vaughan and Ella Fitzgerald, Nina Simone and, and the rest. And of course, in the gospel canon, Mahalia Jackson and different singers, but I had never heard a black woman sing opera. And that was the first time I heard and saw this on videotape. And I was obsessed with the sound and with the treatment and of the way she sang an aria was for me, uh, one of those life-changing, altering moments of seeing something I'd never seen and hearing something I'd never heard. So I've always been obsessed with her legendary voice and always wanted to pay homage to it. And so this wonderful aria, De Prix et Jour, which it means in translation, the first day of love or the first kiss or something like that. And so I made this duet several years ago before I was artistic director, but Judith Jamison saw the work and put it into the repertory many years ago. And I brought it back when I became artistic director at some point. But it really is a love duet. And I think that sometimes when we're in times of strife, that a dance about love can be just as a part of a resistance as a dance about Nelson Mandela. Do you know what I'm saying? That that idea that in the midst of it all, we have to remember our common humanity. And love is one of those things that binds us. So I'm really excited. It's a, it tends to be a popular work. I'm not, I'm not trying to uh, get people to love it before they see it, but usually people fall in love with, with Unfold. And so it's done me well for a long time. <laughs> sounds like you've done it well to it. It just sounds exquisite. Can I share, do you have a minute for me to just share an aside? Yes. Are you familiar with Denise Graves? Of course, oh, yes. She's a glorious singer and just yes. lovely human being. Mm-hmm. She came to the radio station several years ago, and before we began our interview, she said how profoundly grateful she was for classical music on the radio Mm -hmm. because one day she was literally scanning the dial back when there were dials to turn on the radios. (laughs) She said she was a 15-year-old girl in public housing in Washington, D.C., and she came across this opera singing, and she was spellbound, I mean transfixed, and it turned out that was Leontine Price. Denise did not know that Leontine Price was a black singer. Mm. But that was what determined her to study opera. And, well, the rest is history. But Denise's humility 
and the power mm-hmm. of that magnificent voice to speak across all sorts of boundaries. Yeah. I thought it's magnificent. Yeah. What's funny about that, I can, I'll share a story too, it's brief, but I used to rent a room in New York City from a voice teacher who had a huge apartment that once her children left, she rented out rooms to artists who were in sort of transition or, you know, needed a space or what have you for a reasonable price, which we know is difficult in New York City. And for my 30th birthday, she took me to see the first time I ever saw a full opera live. And it was my 30th birthday, and she took me to see Carmen (gasps) with Denise Graves in the lead. Oh. Yes. And it was incredible. And subsequently, I've gotten to meet her in different spaces, but that was an incredible performance. Uh, Her Carmen was incredible. So We didn't get to see her at the Met, but we saw her perform it in Chicago at the Lyric, and boy, did she own it. Wow. Incredible. Okay. Back to you. Back to Ailey. Yes. You appointed Ailey dancer Jamar Roberts as choreographer-in-residence. Yeah. No small honor for him. What can you tell us about the piece he created to music of Duke Ellington in a sentimental mood? Yes. This work is really... I mean, I, I made him our first ever resident choreographer. The company never had a resident choreographer by title, of course, Alvin Ailey, <laughs> yes, but he founded the company, so it's different. But I saw a work that he did, I think it was the music of Coltrane that he created for the company. And it was incredible. And I thought, really, he has such a unique voice. Not only was he such a gifted dancer, people will remember Jamar, this towering figure of a dancer. Uh, who danced with the company many years, but what a choreographic voice. So this particular time, he decided to make a duet, and he called it In a Sentimental Mood. Also, in that particular work is a song that I love, the first time ever I saw your face. In this particular recording, it's being sung by the great jazz vocalist Cecile McLaurin-Salvan. First time. And it's really haunting and uniquely his voice in the way that he sees the world his movement he it just reminded me of one of those voices that that will continue to grow in importance in this time and century and whatever you want to call it and that he comes out of the company you know alvin always wanted to give opportunities to dancers in the company who had an interest in choreography 
to have that platform. I mean, our company being one of the first modern dance repertory companies, of course, you see a lot of that now. But back then, it usually was just the choreography of the founder. But he didn't want that. He wanted to open the floor to the Jamars of the world to give them the space to tell their stories. And he has a story to tell. And you, it's so evident when you see this work in a sentimental mood. <laughs> Although each Ailey event has a different lineup, the program always ends with a performance of revelations. I think of it as a closing benediction. Yes, that's a great way to say it. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Robert. Well, you said the company loves the way Atlanta responds vocally. Yes. See, we're all part of the congregation. <laughs> yes. Regardless of our denominations. Yes. Why does Revelations continue as the culmination of each performance? It is the eighth wonder of the world to me. You know, it's interesting because some might think, well, isn't that hard to have to close with revelations all the time? Trust me, <laughs> if lots of other companies had a work like revelations, they would do the same. But we have revelations. Revelations was created by Alvin Ailey in 1960. It's a suite of spirituals, Negro spirituals that have to do with our survival. It really does. The role that the spiritual uh, played in getting African-Americans through, Black people through the atrocities of hate and discrimination, racism, because it has to do with faith for a better tomorrow. And yes, it is about something very specific but it turns out to be universal, that no matter who sees it, no matter what you believe, what God you pray to or not, there is this universal message of hope, of the tenacity of the human spirit, and it just brings people together. It's like a happening, you know, it, it, it's a tradition in a way. You hear stories often about, oh, my grandmother brought me to see Revelations the first time, in, you know, 20 years ago or whatever. And I'm, I'm here tonight with my daughter. It has that kind of resonance. You know, I saw Revelations. I always tell this story when I was growing up in Liberty City, a neighborhood in Miami, Florida, and we were bused to see a performance for young people. We call it a mini performance, which is what we do in Atlanta as well. And I saw Revelations. And as a kid who grew up in the church and, and my mother played piano for the church, we were, to see it through dance was an incredible moment for me, which is, I believe the reason why I'm here is only the third artistic director of the company following Alvin Ailey and Judith Jamison because it has the power to move people. It has the power to heal. It has the power to inspire. And it leaves the audience, when they leave the theater, uplifted. 
And I think we always need to be uplifted and feel some sense that there is a tomorrow, that things will get better and that we can survive anything through hope, through faith. And I always say, no matter if we're across the street, across the ocean, that people have this visceral response. It breaks down that fourth wall, as they say in theater. By the end of the dance, it is not so much the sense of spectacle. It's a sense that we are all one in that theater, in that live theater performance. It's amazing to watch people receive it over and over again with just as much joy as they did the first time they probably saw it 10 years ago, what have you. And I love when, you know, you have somebody who's never seen Revelations but has heard about it, and then they come up and say, oh, I get it. <laughs> and so we're, we're, we're just, you know, uh, and you hear it in my voice, just delighted to be back in Atlanta and to, to bring all of the new, but to bring the revelations, I think we could use it right now. Oh boy. As we speak, I am holding a copy of my story, My Dance, mm -hmm. this exquisite book that's allegedly written for children, Robert Battle's Journey to Alvin Ailey, but I recommend all ages read this book. And I'm turned to a page that has illustrations of the company Dancing Revelations, and it says, from his seat, Robert felt their pain, their joy, their sorrow, and hope. On stage, he saw his mama Desi, Uncle Willie, and Aunt Anna, Miss Juanita, the members of his congregation at Wachter Temple AME, in the Alvin Ailey Dance Company, Robert saw his past and his future, and he saw himself. Robert, it is just a joy and a privilege to talk with you, and please know how profoundly we appreciate your role with the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater. Thank you so much. Robert Battle. Artistic Director of the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater. The Ailey Dancers are performing at the Fox Theater February 16th through the 19th. More information about the shows and workshops is available on our website, wabe.org slash citylights. In a moment... Our Speaking of Music series highlights the Atlanta pop rock band Glimmers. Amplifying Atlanta, this is WABE. Hey, 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thank you for being here. Time now for our series, Speaking of Music, where we get to hear from Atlanta musicians in their own words. Hi, my name is Maggie Schneider, and I am in a band called Glimmers. I would describe our music as hopeless romantic pop rock. We blend a lot of influences. Everything from Paramore to Demi Lovato to Mayday Parade and everything in between. Now I think I've gotten pretty good at playing the part, but I think I might be broken when it comes to my heart. I never learned to start and turn it all to ashes. I'm torching bridges faster than the magic happens. I play piano acoustic guitar and I am also the lead vocalist in the band. I got started in music at a really early age, uh, mostly through musical theater. I worked at a nonprofit theater company in Atlanta and really found a passion for performing in different musicals and plays. After that, I really wanted to write my own music and decided to start taking guitar lessons and teach myself piano. From there, that was the moment when I decided I wanted to be in my own band and have the opportunity to tell my own stories with the music that I wrote. things inspire me. For one, it's the music that I've grown up listening to. I think something that gets me out of bed every morning is the hope that I could inspire someone else with the songs that I write. I also am inspired by all of the art around me. I still love musical theater to this day, and I'm constantly inspired by the places that we travel and perform. Just burn and turn it all to ashes You're burning bridges faster than your magic happens You say I'm happy when I'm only drenched in sadness
I choose to call Atlanta home because I was born and raised here, and also it's just been the place where my creativity has flourished. Uh, the Masquerade is a venue that has deeply influenced me and my music since I was 12 years old, which was the first time I performed there. Uh, so I would really consider that place my home. And I'm super thankful for that space and the family there giving me the opportunity to share my music and grow not only as an artist, but as a person. I need you here tonight. I'm not good at goodbyes. For better or for worse. I'd rather get burned and say I never tried. Keep feeding me lies. Half the time. When you look me in the eyes, I'm not good at goodbyes. Not good at goodbyes is my favorite song we have released at this point. And it's definitely showcasing that hopeless romantic side of our music. Midas Touch is our most recent single, and it shows more of a upbeat uh, vibe for us, but it still has that same feeling of, you know, we learn through all of our relationships, whether they're friendships or more love-filled relationships. There's something about meeting people and getting close to them and creating those bonds that helps us find our own sense of self. have a few shows coming up. The next time we are playing Atlanta is February 15th at the Masquerade. We are playing with our good friends and boys of fall and archers. So definitely don't miss out on that one. That will be our only local show for a minute. And then we are releasing many more songs in 2023, one of which to be announced very soon. So keep a lookout for that and also keep a lookout for some new music videos. We are active online. I myself am active on TikTok. And so I have a lot of projects in the works that I am looking forward to sharing. was Maggie Schneider of the band Glimmers. You can find more information about the band on our website, wabe.org slash speaking of. Coming up, my conversation with Scott Russo, director of Merely Players Presents, production of Marry Me a Little, a Stephen Sondheim review. Amplifying Atlanta, this is 90.1 WABE. 
WABE. This is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thank you for being here. It's a Saturday night, and two urban singles are looking for something to do while cooped up in their own apartments. Merely Players presents Marry Me a Little, a Stephen Sondheim review. The production about heartache, loneliness, and love is on stage through February 18th at the Doraville Civic Center. Scott Russo is the director and joins me now via Zoom. Welcome to City Lights. Thank you so much, Lois. It's good to be here. How does the narrative of this review unfold? Well, it's funny that you ask about a narrative because the show was put together as a showpiece for Sondheim's trunk songs, the songs that he has either cut from other shows or were shows that were short-lived or never got to see the light of day. Although since that show was written in 1981, many of these songs have come out now. So a lot of them are known, but there's still a few few songs in there that aren't uh, what you would call popular or known by a lot of people. So it's it's kind of exciting. But the, the narrative is basically there's no dialogue in the show whatsoever. It just takes you from moment to moment. And the premise is that there are two singles who are alone on a Saturday night. They're neighbors. They're not aware of each other, except they've seen each other in the window across the way. But they're just not aware of each other or the fact that they might make a good couple. And so they exist through each other's fantasies, really. In the show, they are in the same apartment per se, but they're not. It's just in their fantasies that they are together uh, at times, but they kind of exist and roam around this apartment on their own. And we kind of watch a story arc as these two people go through a breakup with their other partners, and then they are find that they're alone in Flatbush Avenue on a Saturday stormy night until they come to a conclusion that I'm not going to give away. You have to come see the show to find the conclusion. (laughs) Scott, how does the repurposing of the songs in Marry Me a Little add to our understanding of the premise of the show or a flow to the story, if you will. Well, Sondheim was the king of relationships. Many of his shows, you know, from Into the Woods, A Little Night Music, Company, they're all about relationships, people's relationships. And so a lot of the cut songs are just about that, about relationships. And so they bring to life the tale, if you will, of these two folks in what it's like to be in love, what it's like to be alone, what it's like to imagine having that perfect person in your life. There's so much, there's so much. You know, the show is is 75 minutes long and it's rich with words and stories. 
Each song is a story, and they're all about life and love. They're all about who you are as a person and and how you live and how you fall in love and how you fall out of love. Scott, is it possible for you to share a few of your favorite songs from the show. I realize 75 minutes of song may make it hard to narrow down, but what are the highlights for you? (laughs) Oh, you're so right. Well, I'm such a Sondheim fan. I mean, I've been in love with Sondheim since the 80s and have directed and performed in many of his shows. In this show, first of all, I have listened to this soundtrack since it came out. And it was a bucket show for me to do. And I just love all of the music in the show. But I think if I had to choose some favorites, here's an example. Marry Me a Little, the song, was originally in Company. It was cut from Company. It is an amazing piece of work. It is a masterpiece. And yet Sondheim felt the need to replace it with being alive which basically says the same thing, but being alive admittedly says it better. But I love Marry Me a Little and Happily Ever After was another version of this same song that was written for company and was cut, you know? So it's like there was a there was that song that Marry Me a Little and then Being Alive. But I think one of my favorites is Marry Me a Little. I love that song from the show. It is the title song. It's a it's a beautiful song. Cry but not too often, play but not too rough, keep a tender distance, so we'll both be free. That's the way it ought to be. I'm ready, marry me a little, do it with a will, make a few demands I'm able to fulfill. Want me more than others? Not exclusively. That's the way it ought to be. I'm ready. I'm ready now. There is some wonderful music in the show. That, I think, is one of my favorites. So Many People is another beautiful song in the show. It's just about the chance of meeting the one that you are in love with and how it happens and how you expected, you had expectations of that love. And then the person you fall in love with is not like that at all. It's a totally different person, a totally different type of person. And I just think it speaks volumes. It's a very wonderful, moving song. And I think it's uh, it's beautiful. And my two performers, I think, do a great job with it. I said the Must have a castle, a man of means he'd be, a man of fame. And then I met a man who hadn't any, without a How does this production differ from the off-Broadway show in 1981? Oh, my. Um, 
Well, first of all, we don't unfortunately have the, the off-Broadway budget. Uh, so it's done very simply on a set that is completely mobile. Pieces move around. There's a lot of, of that. The show was revived in 2014. It has all of a sudden become very, very popular. Even before Sondheim's passing, it started to be performed more because I think people were looking for something new and different. And then, of course, since Sondheim's passed, it's really blown up. It's really become popular. The thing about this show is that people, in terms of its coming back to life again, have changed some of the songs. Sondheim has a lot more trunk songs. And so people have changed out numbers with some of the original songs. The original premise of the show hasn't changed that much, which is the two people on a Saturday night alone. But the spirit of the show, I think, has gotten a little more diverse in terms of its songs because Sondheim has written so much more music since that. So people have been able to choose and, and add some new songs to it, which has been delightful in the soundtracks that I've heard and you know what I've seen across the country. So it's a little more modern. I mean, we have a very modern take on it. And in fact, one scene called Bang, which was originally from uh, Follies, we have a very modern take on that. So uh, it's about the war between the sexes. So yeah, um, it's just basically taking their premise and making it modern. Any technology aspects that have had to enter the 21st century production for this show? Oh, yeah. I, I don't want to give away too much, but I will say that we now have cell phones. Ah. You know, those are rearing their head. We have a laptop where the writer is now using a laptop instead of a typewriter. But it's, yeah, I mean, those are some of the modern modern moments. There is another one, like I say, in Bang, very, very modern. But I don't want to give that away just yet. There will be a special Valentine's show. What's that about? Oh, very exciting. Well, I mean, when you see the show, it has a story arc leading up to how these two people end up in the show. And so our producer has decided that, uh, Jody McElroy has decided that she wanted to do something special around Valentine's Day for couples to come see the show. So they're they're adding in uh, some specialties with champagne and, and some goodies, and it's going to be a lovely night. So I think it'll be a very special Valentine's night. But it's good for people who are single, too, because there's so much that they're going to be able to relate to. It's very relatable. Yeah. What do you think is the ultimate message of this show about love and vulnerability that we are all the same people that we all have our loves our breakups our heartbreaks it's more about relating to to what it's like to be in love and what it's like to not be in love what it's like to be alone and what it's like to not be alone i know that sounds so general lois but it's the show you know sondheim was such an incredible writer and he covers a lot of bases in this show. And so I think if anything you can take away from it, it's that, wow, we're all really the same inside, you know, that we're not alone, that we are not alone. As he says in Into the Woods, 
no one is alone. Yeah, that just came into my head. <laughs> I wish I could put so. that in the show, but it is uh, not a cut song, and it's and into the woods was very very popular. Indeed, you know. So, <laughs> Scott Russo, thank you so much for talking with me about "Marry Me a Little." I love Sondheim as well. Best of luck. Oh, if you're a Sondheim fan, this is a show for you. It is some great Sondheim music and not something that everybody's heard. So thank you so much for the opportunity. Scott Russo, director of Marry Me a Little, a Stephen Sondheim review. The Merely Players Presents production is on stage at the Doraville Civic Center through February 18th. More information is available on our website. WABE.org. You've been listening to City Lights, our daily exploration of arts and culture. Monday at 11 a.m., we'll hear from filmmaker George King and Atlanta musician Masiki Scales about the documentary Thumbs Up for Mother Universe Stories from the Life of Lonnie Holly. If you missed part of today's show, like my earlier conversation with Robert Battle, the artistic director of the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater, you could catch up through our podcast or on our website, wabe.org slash citylights. There you'll find a complete archive of our stories, so... You can listen to City Lights on your schedule. I'm your host, Lois Reitzes. Thanks for listening to WABE Atlanta. The world has changed from shifts in power to a mental health crisis. So with all this social change, how do we balance the human desire for empathy, the business need for productivity, and the hope to make an impact in our community? This is a new podcast, The Social Impact Leader. I'm Jeff Schinnebarker. Join me as we explore people doing work a little different. Available every Wednesday at wabe.org forward slash podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. W-A-B-E. Sounds Like ATL is a music documentary series that takes an in-depth look at the artists amplifying Atlanta's famed music community. Built around a desire to highlight Atlanta's diverse and world-renowned music scene, each episode features unforgettable, intimate musical performances by fresh new musical guests, each with exclusive interviews about the stories behind their music. Listen at wabe.org or wherever you find your podcasts.